Love that song. Uh, so this is this is Shannon. Hi, My everybody. Wife, she exists, and uh, and it's uh, it's it's so cool to have her on on stage with me today. And I I wanted to put her on the spot. I, I surprised her with this question last service. She didn't know. Um, but but Shannon, what did you do the first the first time we met? What what did you do? Okay, guys, there's a backstory to this, but I'm gonna tell you what I did. I didn't like Perry that much, and I did not want to be fake. So in the middle of the conversation, I walked away. I did. She I was wrong. Ran. I shouldn't have done it. She actually ran. I did. But I tracked her down. <laughs> it's so neat. It's um. She was. This is her first time on stage. And um, how many how many husbands would this has happened to you on a Sunday morning? Your your wife gets dressed and she walks in and she says, "How do I look?" And you say, "Amazing." And she goes and changes. How many have the, Okay, yeah. And if you're not raising your hand, it's because you're scared. Um, but I think I'm so excited to have her on stage with me because um, we have some great friends that live in Tennessee. Um, their names are Chris and Holly Brown. Many of you, um, how many of you heard Holly preach when we were back in the liquor store? Yeah, okay, a lot more, yeah. Um, Holly came in and just shredded it. It was amazing. Um, but Chris and Holly have been really great friends for a long time. They just recently planted a church. Um, but all of you know who Chris is, but you may not realize that Chris is the guy that I tell the story about when I was in, when I was in rehab. Chris is actually the guy that got on an airplane and flew out to see me and spend time with me. And he'll tell part of that story when he comes up. But um, I'm just so thankful for them and so thankful for their friendship and so thankful for the way they poured into our church. So would you do me a favor and let's give a second chance welcome to Chris and Holly Brown. Y'all let them know. Y'all let them know. Y'all let them know how thankful we are that they're here. So excited. We, I, I didn't realize this, but we're all wearing ripped jeans. It's amazing. We are. It's awesome. <laughs> I feel so hip. Um, so so one, of, one, of the, one of the reasons I brought Chris and Holly in is because they've been married for 22 years and they still like each other. Um, they actually still <laughs> love each other. And, um, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about that. They've got, they've got three kids. We got some pictures. We got a picture of their kids. They're so cute. Um, yeah, they, like all their kids are pretty. Like usually there's just one ugly kid, but there's no <laughs> ugly kids. Like they got all cute kids. So, um, so, so I guess I'm going to start. Chris, I didn't do this last service, but um, who's your favorite kid? Well, I have one child that's here today, so <laughs> Annie. Annie, is, stand up and wave at everybody. Yes, just stand up and wave. Just, just there you go. There's Annie. Yes, she also is the easiest. She's also the most helpful. She's also the best in schools. Oh, sorry, but she. <laughs> I don't have any favorites. She just happens so, to be. So true amazing. story. I go, I go to Chris and Holly's house several years ago. Annie walks in. She's like nine years old, pushing a serving cart. She said, can I make you some lemonade? I look at Chris and Holly. I'm like, are you doing slave labor? Like, what is this? <laughs> They're like, we swear she asked, for, she asked for the serving cart for her birthday. Am I, am I right? <laughs> and, and, and she still has it? Or have y'all took it away no, from her? No, since then, she is now a teenager. <laughs> got it. Okay, got it. <laughs> so crazy. So, so walk us through. So you guys have been married for 22 years. Like, how did y'all meet? Well, we met in college. Uh, Holly was a uh, freshman, and we went to a small school. And what, what uh, year were you? 
<laughs> I was getting there. The reason why I took this question is because I didn't want her to answer. Yeah. <laughs> I think I botched it last service. Uh, no, you didn't botch it. What you said was great. But well, like, the thing is, is last service we started off and she ripped me like four times in a row. So I'm taking charge <laughs> <laughs> right out of the gate. Anyway, go oh, ahead. You, you can go. No, it's fine. Um, so uh, I was happened to be a uh, my first senior year is when she came in. I was in my first senior year. So um, whatever that makes me. But, uh, yeah, we met. She was uh, uh, new on campus, and, of course, I noticed and paid attention. And, uh, yeah, I thought she was just this perfect mix of uh, uh, funny, also intelligent, also good-looking, and just also had um, just a lot. She's a lot further in her spiritual journey than I was, and I was drawn to all those things. And ever since then, she's been absolute perfection. <laughs> It doesn't. It doesn't. We're just getting started. It doesn't stay that that bushy. I promise. Well, but but you had a you had kind of an interesting question about in regards to how they met. I do, but I've changed it a little bit since last service. So I think we would all agree that putting Jesus first in everything is the most important thing. What advice? I want to hear from you and from you, Chris. What advice would you give single ladies or girls that are dating in regards to making sure you're putting like how do you practically put Jesus first in that while you're preparing for marriage? And then from a guy's perspective, Chris, I'd love to hear that from you too. Yes. Um, so, so I got, I got married very young, 19. So, um, I really wasn't single that long. Um, and, uh, but I do know that in, in the season that, that I met Chris, um, my dad was actually in the process of, of dying. And, um, I just remember, um, really getting to a point where, um, when you're single, you have so much to offer and not despising that. Like there are so many people in marriages that want out, right? And people not in marriages that want in. Um, and I just think whatever season we're in, if we can really focus on being whole ourselves with my walk with the Lord, am I hearing from God? Am I responding to God? Am I able to cultivate some of those things? Then bringing a partner into that, um, it just keeps things so much healthier because if I'm healthy, it just, it, it allows, it allows, it, there's just so many wonderful aspects to it. But when I met Chris, one thing that I really valued about Chris over, honestly, anybody else I had dated in my past, um, he was very new in his walk, did not know hardly anything about God. In fact, he got a college scholarship um, for baseball at this small school, but they said, um, do you believe in Jesus? And he grew up very, very poor. Um, and so he said, I'll believe in whoever you want me to if you, if you pay for my college. <laughs> and so that's how he got to the Christian college. And so uh, when I met him, he didn't know much about um, Jesus at all all. So, um, but what he had was a great sense of integrity. And so when I told him that my walk was important to me, and these are my boundaries inside of mar or a relationship, um, a dating relationship, he never once tried to push that. Just more from his own personal integrity than his walk with the Lord was there. And to me, that was the most attractive thing. Like just the fact that if I valued it, he valued it, even though he may not have been there yet with the Lord. And um, that literally is what really drew me to to him over most Christian guys, if I'm being honest. Right. So. So after, so, but something, something interesting happened after your first date. <laughs> As the date is coming to a, this, I've never heard this story until last service. So at, at, at their first date, Chris is taking her home and 
this happens. Okay, so so Chris had been dating this girl, and, and they had broken up, in, but I think like for a year it was on again, off again type thing, and so he always uses the word headworms. I don't know if you guys have heard that before, but um, so. It's a thing. Guys, <laughs> headworms? Girls, headworms? <laughs> Not do you have them. Do you know what I'm talking about? If he would okay, say, yeah. okay, okay, no, I think you're, I think you're out to dry. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, so. I, everybody online raised their hands. So after the end of our first date, I thought he was, I, I really liked him. I thought he was cool. Um, but he, he, he was dropping me off at my dorm room and he just said, hey, I just got to ask you one question. And I thought he was going to ask me to go out again. And he said, so like, are you in this for marriage or not? Because I don't have time to, to joke around. Like, I'm here for one thing and one thing alone, and I don't do headworms. So if you're here and you want to be with me one day and the next day you don't, I'm out now. Just go ahead and tell me now. And so, um, and he goes, and I heard you're talking to another guy, so, like, what is this? And I was like, it was a first date, dude. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> but I did go in my dorm and call the other guy and say, don't call me again. <laughs> and then y'all are married how much long? How, how long? 13 months later, we were married, so, yeah, yeah, now, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure for every, like, there's a, there's a guy here, and you're like, I'm about to go have that conversation. It don't always go that way. <laughs> I don't hey, know. Hey, are yeah. you in this? No? Okay. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's great. So, Chris, what was it about Holly, uh, like, the, like, what was it about Holly? You're like, man, I'm so attracted to her because of? Well, I think uh, conviction. I think if out of all the, the traits that I've already named, I think what I saw in her was this, this new faith that I was just finding out all about, did this following Jesus. I saw a lot of folks talking about it, uh, talking about their faith, but what I saw in her was this deep conviction of watching her decision-making lining up with what she's saying. The small decisions behind the scenes, also the big decisions. So I was really drawn to, I guess she used the word integrity, but I was drawn to conviction of somebody with a backbone that really stood behind what she believed. And you could tell she believed it. She was only 19, but I swear she'd been a Christian for like 25 years. Right. She just found a way. But she just uh, oozed it, and I was just uh, attracted to Jesus inside her. So you guys got married, and then you lived where after you got married? All right. So we met in Florida, uh, Clearwater, just west of Tampa. And uh, I was from Florida. She was from North Carolina. So the thing was, we got married, and it's like, where do we live? Well, I wanted to live in Florida. She wanted to live in North Carolina. So we had our first ever marriage compromise, and we moved to North Carolina. And uh, that is, that's been every compromise since, actually. I, I found that Shannon, when she, when, like, she had an apartment, I had a house, she moved in, and she asked, can I rearrange the house? And, and I, I learned she wasn't asking can I rearrange the house? She was telling me, I'm going to rearrange the house. And it took me four days to find my dog. But, but when we finally <laughs> found him, he was, he was alive. He was okay. It was great. So, now, so you, um, you, you, were you were married, and then you were kind of teaching, doing real estate, and then you um, actually wound up working for a, for a, a church. That, uh, you tell that story. Yeah. All right, so I got married. I got a, a business degree and a, a Bible minor and uh, immediately went into teaching. I taught a uh, small Christian school for five years. Just seventh grade science. Seventh grade math and science, which uh, now I realize at 44, looking back, that God was preparing me in smaller environments for larger environments, and now I can see God's hand on it. But it really made no sense at the time. Did that for five years and um, 
then uh, made a career switch into real estate, was serving in real estate for a, a little, uh, just a brief season. And then a small church plant came to the Charlotte area, um, and uh, really, really small, like 80 people or so. You may have heard them before. They're called Elevation Church, <laughs> so they're not necessarily 80 people anymore. But uh, in that season, they came in, and uh, I was exposed to Pastor Steve Furtick, who Stephen Furtick, who was just, he was literally doing the welcome, he was doing the worship, he was doing the dismissal, he was doing the teaching. It was just early on, and he was doing the setup and the teardown, and, um, and uh, I was just drawn to his passion and a fresh faith, and he had something just burned inside of his bones, and I'm like, I want to be around that. Because to that point, I'd been exposed to, outside of Holly, what I felt like was a lot of dead, dry religion. Not, it was just literally going through the motion. I was hungering for somebody to have that kind of passion and fire. So immediately, I mean, I signed on the dotted line. I'm like, where can I serve? And I was like ushering and auditorium coordinator. I guess I was pretty good at ushing, whatever. <laughs> I was, uh, I guess they, they promoted me and promoted me. Next thing you know, it was, uh, he came in and just told me, you will be our first camp campus pastor um, at Elevation. He didn't ask me. He just told me. So it was like on a Thursday. He's like, yeah, you start on Monday. And uh, that was my call to ministry. He just said, here's a high school. Here's a few people. Figure it out. And that's, that was my training. That's a true story. I was there the whole time. I, was, I heard the whole thing. Holly, though, you shared last service. How did you wind up getting connected to Elevation in the first place? Because this was kind of fascinating. Yes. Yeah, so we actually went to, they did an egg drop. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that story, but they dropped like 10,000 eggs from a helicopter. And uh, we had a three-month-old at the time, and uh, which that just, why do parents go to things when the kids have no cognitive recollection? Like, you got 18 years to do this crap. <laughs> At least take a freebie in the first couple years, um, but we didn't, and I guess the first time around, you're super crazy excited about that stuff, and so we took our three-month-old to, to this egg drop, and um, they gave us a CD when they left, and I, I remember it just lit a fire in us before we ever stepped inside the doors. Like, this is what we've been waiting for. Or someone that really believes that God will do today everything we keep reading about. Um, and so that's how we got there. So you guys were there for about a year, and then some they doors opened, yeah. and you guys wound up moving to Miami. And But then, and this is what's kind of fascinating, in Miami, you know, first of all, marriage is hard. And then you throw kids in, and that makes it incredibly difficult. But then you guys experience something in Miami that, literally like shipwrecks so many couples and um i'm gonna let you tell that story and and like what it was and then how you guys navigated through it so we were living in uh charlotte and things were going well and um we started getting involved in real estate and so because i was involved in real estate i had access or i had knowledge of the behind the scenes of when houses would go up for foreclosure and so i would go to the courthouse steps, we had a little bit of cash in the account, and so I would uh, start to flip homes and, um, you know, fix them up, and then it was extra money every three months to kind of sell one, and it was like, oh, this is so much fun. Well, next thing you know, I'm, I'm like, why would I want to flip one at a time when I can flip eight at a time? <laughs> so I started using other people's money to do that, and the year was 2007, and so I had borrowed a ton of money, had eight uh, flip homes that I couldn't sell, couldn't get anyone to move into to rent, and uh, literally was paying $10,000 a month every single month for empty homes that were just sitting there. And uh, we, in this process, we moved down to Miami and um, uh, for ministry, and I'm trying to um, manage these homes that are in Charlotte, you know, and so I don't even have my hand on the pulse for the market. 
literally just a train wreck of an experience. Well, it came January of 2011, and I had to look a trustee in the eye, and I had to file bankruptcy. Now, those of you that know a little bit about um, my story, those of you that do know, I, I grew up in tremendous poverty. Grew up with uh, several father figures going to jail, um, homelessness, um, sleeping underneath bridges and sleeping underneath piers and sleeping in the backseat of cars and um, just abuse shelter to abuse shelter, narcotics, you name it. Um, pretty tough childhood. And I told myself growing up, I will never do that to my family. And then here I was, my biggest shame was in that January of 2011 in that courtroom. I looked that trustee in the face and just said, hey, I, I can't. I'm giving up. And because I live in the South, she looked at me, and she said, bless your heart, <laughs> which, is, which is code word for you're screwed. And um, so that's, uh, I filed bankruptcy, and of course, that's really, really hard on our marriage. Uh, she had really trusted me in that area, and the shame as a pr provider and a head of household, um, I had to carry that. And then with that comes the depression and comes the discouragement and uh, all that, the, the lack of confidence, the insecurity. Then if she questions one little purchase for like five bucks, I get insecure. And I'm like, what do you, you, you don't trust me anymore? And he, no, she didn't. <laughs> she didn't trust me. So it was, just, it was a lot of dynamics there for us we had to work through for years. Which, which brings up something interesting because Shannon asked me this question about you guys. Um, and I didn't know. So I was like, well, you just ask them. So it, ask them that question. That you so how do you guys handle conflict within marriage? Because that, I mean, probably probably had a couple conflicts over that, so. Yes, it did have some conflicts. Um, but um, I think for us, and I mean, I mean, I, the way that we've handled conflict has obviously evolved. We've been at it for fighting for 22 years now, so <laughs> we've gotten better at it. But um, I think that for us, the most important thing, especially in that season when we were navigating that, not only did we go bankrupt, but we actually buried three parents out of four of our parents in, in, in that same few years, um, and we had three toddlers. And so um, it was a really, really tough season. But I, I think that knowing... Um, for me, it was so much of knowing that Chris made a bad business decision, but Chris is not a bad person, and I trusted his walk with the Lord, um, and so I knew he had his eyes on Jesus, and I and I think sometimes in marriage, that's where it really gets hard, because especially in the church, we stand as women, or we hear as women being told, you need to be more submissive, you need to be more submissive, you need, and I'm not saying we don't. I'm saying it's really hard to be submissive if you don't trust the person you're supposed to submit to, so walk with the Lord. Right? Like, I, as a woman, I want to be led. I actually am not trying to be like, give me, I don't want to wear the pants, regardless of all the jokes <laughs> um, that, 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 that people can make about that. But I do want to know that the person that I'm submitting to, the boat that I'm getting in, is, is not got holes in it because we're not looking to Jesus, you know? And so that's just stupid when you tell me to get in a boat and there's all kinds of holes all over the place. I'm like, who's going to call this out? <laughs> this is a really dumb thing. But I never felt that way through that. I knew that Chris had his eyes on Jesus. I trust his walk with the Lord. And so it was really easy to look at that and say, okay, this is a, this is a bad business decision, but we'll weather this through and, and, and God will get us through this. And, um, and he did. And, and we made it, we made it through that. Um, but I think that that's a really big part of it is just knowing I will follow you. I will sink with you. As long as I know your eyes are on Jesus, we'll sink together. Um, I want to jump ship when I don't trust sometimes where your eyes are. Mm. 
so in the last service, y'all said, though, that you, you handle, and this was fascinating to me, that you handle conflict differently. Oh, yeah, that was the question. I forgot the question. No, 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 you, no, 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 it was perfect. It's perfect. Um, it, this is a second yes. chance. You literally can't mess it up. Okay. So, um, I love it. But, but you, like, the way y'all handled conflict was, it was fascinating the way you unpacked it. So unpack, because everybody, especially married couples or couples, you're going to go. So we had to learn our fighting techniques, right? And so over over time, we realized that Chris is um, like a, a, you call a stonewaller. I call it fight or flight. Like he's flight and I'm fight, right? And so I want to stay and duke it out and process it. Um, he t- takes processing as like, like you're mad at me or I did something wrong. And I'm like, no, we're, we're like working through this or just a little elevated, heated. <laughs> um, but to me, it's, it's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And so, um, so we had to learn that about each other because for the first few years we get married, if we were married, he would, he'd be gone. He would leave. And I would take that as you don't love me enough to even have a conversation with But would me. you say gone is like to the next room or something? Oh, yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Not like, yes, 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 exactly. Um, Thank although you for clarifying. I did, I did think one, one time I, I was like, I'm going to do a science experiment and just see how long, if I don't pursue him, this could last. Like, could we do this for three weeks? Would we do this for three months? <laughs> like, uh, But at the beginning of our relationship, there was a lot. He just would want to get away, not talk, you know, yes, go outside, be away. And I would be the opposite of that. And so we just had to learn um, how I had to learn being the fighter that not everything has to be fought through. That, you know, I don't want, I don't want roots to grow up that are going to, like, choke and ruin our marriage. But there's some things I can leave to Jesus, right? Like, there's some things that Jesus um, can deal with Chris on. And so um, as the fighter, I have to learn. I have to learn that a lot. You can probably share a little bit more about the flight. Yeah, so, you know, all of us have... Um we all have baggage. Raise your hand if you've got baggage of some sort. Yeah, we all have baggage. We bring into relationships, not just marriage, but we all have baggage. We all have, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just we have some characteristics, some things in our life that have molded us. I come from the childhood that I came from. She comes from the Brady Bunch. So the two different worlds, and she grew up with uh, four siblings. I grew up with none that were around my age. And so uh, just two different uh, backdrops. And so I'm coming in thinking by me stonewalling, which is not what I'm thinking. I'm thinking I'm just going to let this go. I'm going to sweep it under the rug. I'm not going to create an elevated situation. I feel like I'm winning because I'm not doing what I saw all the men in my household do for years. I feel like I'm winning. She receives it as the fact that she's not even important enough for me to engage. She receives it as apathy and I receive, I, I, for me, I'm, in my mind, I'm winning. And so we have to understand all of our relationships, not just marriage, but all of our relationships, we have to understand it's not necessarily about how you feel you're winning or not. It's how they're, how they're receiving it. Right. One thing that she's done really, really, really well, um, and she's actually um, led me in this area too, is um, when I think about her way of handling conflict, um, you, we, we all have conflict. I mean, we are human beings. We're fallen, and we're all close together. So there's going to be friction, and there's always going to be conflict. But in all of our lives, remember this, that conflict is inevitable, but drama is a choice. Conflict is inevitable, but drama is a choice. She does this so well. That 
that I don't even tweet anymore, and I'm tweeting that today. <laughs> it's so good. Conflict <laughs> is inevitable, but drama is a... Yeah, you, you're scaring me with you and Twitter to stop. Because <laughs> <laughs> we had that talk last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No! Oh, it's funny. No, but here's the deal. Um, you know, she like, and, and she get, she gave an example uh, when we were talking earlier of, of this uh, time where I got really, really mad and I left the bedroom and went down to sleep on the couch. Very rarely does that happen. Well, I don't know if it was 30 minutes, an hour later, she gets a she gets um, a pillow and gets a comforter and she comes down. I guess we're having a slumber party down here, right? So this is an example of like conflict was in the room, but she's like, we're not doing drama. And she's not. So in all your relationships, at work, in your neighborhood, the HOA, at school, whatever it may be, let the monkeys enjoy the circus. Yeah. Man, stay focused yeah. and conflict is inevitable, but drama is a choice. So good. So good. We, we, got, we, we had a conflict this morning right when we got here, didn't we? We did. We did. It was good. It was cause I was right. She was wrong. Guys, he apologized first, though, after. He was so sweet. He sent me the sweetest text, and it was amazing. Well, because here's the deal. If you know if if God's getting ready to do something really wonderful in your life, if the enemy, like me, and I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if you want to know how to pray for your pastor and his wife, pray for us on Sunday mornings because it's crazy. We'll argue over the dumbest things, won't we? That's true. This morning we were arguing over cats. (laughs) That is how it started. Over cats. Which are not worth arguing about. <laughs> They're so cute, though. They are. They they are kind of cute. They're not going home with us, though. We're gonna take one. You guys are gonna take two. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're not taking them home. So, uh, <laughs> here's what's here's what's amazing about Chris's story, though. So Chris goes goes and goes bankrupt, and. Um, a few years later, Chris, who who were you working with on a daily basis? Dave Ramsey. So <laughs> <laughs> I was speaking on behalf of Dave Ramsey as a somebody who was obviously awful. Yeah, yeah, he's he has no knowledge about money at all. So so I just I love that story because it's like redemption. It's like if somebody would have came to Chris and told him when he was bankrupt, hey, one of these days you're gonna work with Dave Ramsey. He would have been like, you're on crack. And then you were with Ramsey for how many how many years were you there? Four. Four, four years. years. Yeah, 2014 yeah. to 2018. Can I tell you a quick, crazy, cool story about that? Um, Absolutely. Before he worked for Dave, when he went in to see the uh, trustee or, or the judge, um, she, she, you know, they look at all your accounts and they're like, okay, so you, this is all the money that you have. And um, she looked him in the eye and said, do you have any money anywhere else? Do you have any CDs? Do you have any bonds? Anything else? And he, um, this comes back to, to his integrity. He said, yes, I have $8,000 underneath my mattress at home. He hoping she wasn't going to ask that question. And she did. And so she said, well, I'm going to need you to go get it. So he drove home and um, got, literally it was down to our, like, we're now down to our last dollar in the bank. Um, and so he gave her all $8,000. And no joke, I'm not lying to you, 18 months later, her, um, whatever you call it, the secretary to the judge, sent us a letter and said, in 30 years, I've never seen this happen, but the judge was so blown away by your integrity, she told us to send you the money back. And we actually got that money back 18 months later. And through all that, we still tied, we still get, like, we still, and um, Chris just led us um, with integrity through all that. And still, um, 18 months later, 
they said in 30 years they never seen that happen. And we got we got a check back for every penny he turned in. I was sitting here thinking there was no, there's no way I w- got it. No, none, none. <laughs> God. Uh, yeah. Holly, when you were when you were with us um, a couple years ago, one of the things that was so awesome is you just opened up this conversation about uh, anxiety and mm. depression and. Um, it was so powerful to hear you you talk about that. Um, so what I'd love, like, kind of revisit that. Okay. Um, I still go over my notes from that message, by the Aww. way. But kind of revisit that for us, like, what, what that was like. And then, and Chris, you can kind of talk about how, how you were a support system for her during that, during that season. Absolutely. Uh, so probably about six years ago, 2016. 2016. Um, Sorry, I was thinking it was in my ear. Um, I started struggling with anxiety, and um, and there was a lot to that. I was going through a lot at my job at the time, and we were under extreme amounts of stress. One thing we learned in marriage, um, we both have worked uh, pretty much our entire marriage. And um, just quick side point, we've learned uh, for us that um, everyone functions differently, but for us, only one of us can be in extreme stretching season at a time um, for our marriage and our family to operate well. And we were going on about three years of extreme stress for both of us. And now we say only one of us gets to dunk at a time. The other one's got to play defense. (laughs) And that has like changed the game for us, but we didn't know this at the time. And so we were both in, uh, he was traveling all over um, as, as, as a national speaker. And I had three little kids, had a really stressful job. Anyways, long story short, I started to develop um, some severe anxiety and panic attacks. I started to develop some temptations that just shocked me. I had no idea. Um, And then that just built so much shame and then anxiety. And it was just this constant, constant circle to the point where the anxiety was paralyzing me now out of nowhere. I can't get out of bed. Um, He's gone all over the country and I've got three kids and um, I was executive pastor at a church at the time. Um, So a large church in Nashville trying to help plant campuses and manage all that stuff. And I will never forget um, when it comes to our marriage and anxiety. um, One time I was sitting with Chris and I just felt so much shame. We were in, um, we're at Kevin Gerald's church in, where is that? Seattle. Seattle. We were in Seattle and at that Pike's Market, and we were sitting in a booth at a Chinese restaurant. And I just didn't even know if he could handle the thoughts I was having, um, uh, the temptations I was having. And I was just so afraid, to be honest. I was so afraid to tell him. And it was such a paralyzing and crippling anxiety. Um, But I knew either our marriage is going to make it or I'm never, he's never going to really know me because he can't handle me. And um, I remember we were in a booth and Chris um, came to my side of the booth and he put his arm around me and he said, if this is who you are from here on out, if you struggle like this from here on out, I'm still going to love you. And you are not going to tell me anything or confess anything to me. There's not a single thing that's going to come out of your mouth that will make me walk away. And that moment brought me so much freedom. And I was able just to tell him, this is how dark it is. And this is what I'm struggling with. And this is where my thoughts are. Um, and it was, that was a defining moment for me, even in relieving my own anxiety. Because I think so much of it is, can people really handle who, what I, deep down, the real me? Is there anybody in this world that can really handle that? 
And so, and so much anxiety is caused by not even knowing if the people closest to you can handle that, you know. And so, um, that was that was a big defining moment in just our in helping me get through that. Chris, how did you navigate that as a as a husband, seeing your wife battle through that? Like, what 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 was your thought process when you had that conversation? Uh, first thought was um, probably not as heroic and as great as she made that sound. Is actually as somebody who grew up around a lot of pain and grew up against a lot of odds and a lot of physical odds, my initial thought was, and maybe somebody online right now or somebody in here has this viewpoint or perspective towards anxiety. My first inclination was to say, get over it, it's just an emotion. Like what in the world? Like seriously, it's not that big of a deal. I didn't say that to her, but internally, I was really struggling with it because I'm like, you don't even know. You don't even know what real pain is. You don't even know what kind of childhood that I grew up. I'm just being honest. And it wasn't, it wasn't a positive thing until you go through anxiety, until you realize that you don't, when you go through it, you can't just will yourself to stop feeling that way. You can't just like, I'm going to get better. No, it's, it's this pit that unless you've been there, you don't even know. And so for me, this right here was the, my reaction after that. But my initial reaction was, come on, let's go. Let's go. We got things to do. I'm very, I'm a three on the Enneagram. I'm very production oriented. I'm like, let's go. We got to leave the cave and kill something and bring it home. We got to do something. And uh, if this was, I was like, what in the world are you doing? Let's go. Let's go. Come on, girl, you got this. Um, and that's the last thing that somebody with anxiety needs. I would just say this, some, uh, uh, some marriage um, unsolicited marriage advice for all of us and relationship advice. And this is what I love about Second Chance. The number one, if I were to give all marriage advice and put it all into one topic and even one word, the number one marriage word advice that I would ever give you is empathy. To put yourself in their shoes, whatever, the small argument, mid-size argument, big argument, whatever they're going through, to put yourself, take yourself out of your own skin and put yourself in theirs. Going back to Seattle, seeing her in that booth. The only way that a fallen human with flesh on wins in that scenario and responds the correct way is to emotionally put yourself on the other side of the table in their skin and literally feel what they're feeling. Not, not, not sympathy, empathy, to really understand what they're going through. Man, if you want a red-hot marriage, empathize. Empathy and humility, those are my top two. Listen, before you start working on your spouse, work on yourself. Kind of like what Jesus did for us. He came down and, yeah, that was, yeah. Um, Holly, you, you did such a great job with this in the last service to the person that's sitting in this room or watching online and they're, they're struggling with anxiety or even depression or like they, they're, they feel they're struggling and they're stuck. What, what do you say to that person? What's, what's their next step? Um, what, what, what would you tell them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
first off, I would just say I'm so sorry. I, I really would not wish it on my worst enemy. Um, and, and like he said, until you've really struggled with the depths of panic attacks and the, and the, and the heart racing and, and, and the lump in your throat and your ears ringing, um, it, is, it is a terrible pain. And so if you're going through that, I am, I am so, so sorry. Um, I would tell you that there's hope and you can overcome it. Um, and, and, and some of us um, may have someone else lay hands on you and it's healed in that moment. But for the most of us, God has equipped us to be in a culture and an age where, where there are professionals that know how to help you get through this. And they can help you take your faith and medication and medicine, modern medicine, and help you get through it. And that would be my biggest thing because when I first had my first panic attack, I didn't know it was a panic attack. I didn't know, I'd had multiple of them, but I didn't know what that was. And I remember being at my um, counselor's office for the very first time I walked into a counselor's office and um, she told me, first off, I can't help you. You're in the middle of a panic attack. You need to go see a doctor. Um, and uh, I didn't know. I didn't know that was what was going on. And then later she explained to me, I had been in, well, I, sh I don't need medicine. I'm not supposed to do that. I'm a Christian. I'm just supposed to trust my way out of this. And um, I remember thinking that. She said, Holly, you're not going to get better without medicine. And she said, let me tell you why. She said, because, see, you went through trauma in this experience. And when you did that, you had all these reserves of, of, of serotonin and GABA in your brain, but you depleted every last one of those to make it through that trauma. And you made it, and you should be proud of yourself. You made it, you're still standing, your family's okay, you're going to be okay. But you've depleted everything. So now when Chris gets held up, you know, in, a, in an airport eight hours longer than he thought he was, and, and I'm single momming it a little bit longer, and that gets me so tripped up that I just bottom out, it's just, it's, you have no reserves anymore. And until you find uh, the right medicine to help you rebuild those reserves, you've got to help get that so that you can then put therapies in place and, and even spiritual disciplines in place. But you've got to get out of trauma mode. And oftentimes you won't get out of that without reserves unless you've got some professional help. It's, um, it's yeah, y'all give it up. That was... One of, the things, one of the things I love about our church is we have a pretty honest, open culture here. And if, and if you, you don't feel free confessing or asking for help here, I, there's probably nowhere on the planet. I mean, it's like we're, we're, we start off knowing that I'm screwed up. So um, if you're not screwed up, we'll mess you up. We say that all the time. After every service, and it's a perfect time to highlight this, after every service, um, you walk out these doors and you hang a left, and we've got a care team back there, and we've got a care room, and we've got people that can connect you with people that can help you, like professionally. And, I, and Holly says, I'm, I'm somebody that's gone through professional help. I've been on medication. I wish, I, I've told you guys before, I wish I could anoint you with oil and do the Benny Hinn bodies to the floor, like hit you on the head and you would be healed. But, but I've never been able to pull that off. Um, but I do know that there is a way through anxiety. And, um, and, and if, if God can bring the same Jesus that brought Holly through it and the same Jesus that brought me through it can bring you through it as well. Um, I don't want this time to pass without kind of hitting one more thing. Uh, Chris recently wrote um, his his first book. Was it your first book ever? Your first book. It called Restored, um, and this is a this is a picture of it. And if you want to do that QR code thing, you can do that. You've got some. He's got some copies in in the back. Um, if you want to pick one up today, you've got you you got a few copies left, right? 
Um, but the reason I want to bring this up is because uh, Chris is the guy. In fact, the story's in the book. Um, but Chris is the guy that came to see me when I was out in um, when, when I was out in Arizona, um, and he's he's the only dude that, that came out, and um, we were we were pretty close at the time. We we're pretty close. We're obviously closer now, but um, it it blew me away. I'm I'm blown away by it, um, even today. So. You've heard my side of that story, but I would love for Chris to share his side of the story. And because not not being about me, just what the process was and how, anyway, you take it, Chris, you, you take it. Well, I think this is a good use of time just because this is, a, well, number one, the heartbeat of your church. And number two, it involves your lead pastor. Um, but we're gonna come full circle on this and the whole idea of it is the, the traits and the, what happens that goes into a great marriage and what goes into great relationships. Um, I told you a little bit about my past and the, the, the idea of the book is to transform the sting of your past into purpose for today. Well, there's a season in my um, growing up where I was in a, a, um, in a, because of those unstable environments that I was in, I had to live in, in areas where I was the only person that looked like me. And so every day going to school and coming home from school, I would get bullied and, and beat up. There was always one friend that was always there with for me. His name was Danny. He was there to hold my backpack or to pick up my backpack or pick up all my stuff that had spread all over the street to clean my wounds and to just be there and listen as I processed my emotions that came from such an experience. And so I've got all these really bad memories of that season of my life, but right in the middle of the bad memories is this really good one about this guy named Danny. A friend that, a true friend that's not just there as a stadium friend with the achievements and the accolades and way to go when you're rocking, but that courtroom friend that's there right beside you when things are not pretty and everyone else has turned their back. So I've got that memory. That memory can do nothing or I can do something with it. Fast forward to now, a few years ago, I found out about, uh, I was talking to Perry and Perry was at a rehab in uh, Arizona and just talking to him, I asked him, I said, hey, do you ever have any visitors? And I could not believe the fact that he said no. As somebody who had uh, been part of the journey, Jesus had worked through him to see thousands, tens of thousands accept Christ be baptized, their marriage is restored, families put back together, addictions overcome, worldviews changed to really flip a city and a state upside down. Not one person came and visited him. And granted, it's Arizona, it's not like next door. And uh, I just figured that some of his close, close people in his life would come visit him. So, you guys remember a word that starts with an E? Empathy. I um, said, we're going to change that. I didn't tell him. I don't know if I told him or not. But I got on a, on a plane the next day, flew out to Phoenix, then got in a car, and I think it was like a two-hour car ride to there. He had a one-hour one window from 11 to 12. I think it was 11 to 12 to be able to speak to visitors. And I was 20 minutes late. 
<laughs> so I walked in there at 11.20, and we just sat down, and I literally watched him walk around. He was literally the pastor of this rehab center. I was like, Pastor P, Pastor P, come here. And like he was like pastoring the staff, and everyone that was in there was like, what do, do, are you running this place? It was pretty awesome. It's like, which one of these did not belong? But anyway, um, <laughs> that's another story. <laughs> um, that's always been my opinion, but moving on. So we, I would say we talked, but we really didn't. He talked, and I listened. The last thing that Perry needed in that season was somebody to talk at him. He needed someone to sit with him. He needed a courtroom friend. He needed someone to make him feel seen, visible, that he matters. And so I, I sat with him for 40 minutes, got up, hugged his neck, looked him in the eye, and I said, the best is yet to come. The heartbeat of that is really what you guys are all about. That anointing drops from the beard, that's what he's doing. He's transforming the sting of his past and transforming it into purpose for today. That's literally in the DNA of Second Chance. You guys are a Samaritan church. You guys are the lowering the mat kind of church. I talked to somebody in the lobby just between services that literally looked me in the eye and said, the only reason why I'm alive today is because Jesus used Second Chance Church. I was literally gonna end my own life and I'm here today. And he told me that right between services. That what you guys are doing is special. Just remember in all your relationships, it's empathy. And the empathy alone is not enough. You have to act on the empathy. You have to get in the car. You have to get on the plane. You have to have the conversation. You have to give the gift. Whatever it may be, empathy in your relationships and a humble posture of like that grace. Man, the grace that you've received from Jesus, extend that to others. And that's what I love about this place. Y'all, this is rare air. The fact, I, that third song, I'm like, you have to teach after that every week? I'm like, there's no way. I would be done. I'd be a mess. This is amazing. Hey, we're at the well. We're in Nashville, just south of uh, uh, Nashville. We're only 10 months old. And can I just tell you, we want to be y'all when we grow up. We literally want to be. We literally, <laughs> I feel like we copy everything y'all do just because you guys are amazing. And um, I'm very, very honored not only to be here today. I'm honored to be y'all's friends. And... I will say this too, that I am so thankful that you guys are the most significant financial supporters of our church in the entire nation. And we, Holly and I know a lot of pastors and you guys are just sowing so generously and not just money, but advice and uh, other kinds of resources. And like even this, this, this beautiful thing right here, I asked Philip, I said, what are you going to do with that when it comes time to, and I'm like, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> and Philip, without even hesitation, it's yours. So thank you all for everything that you guys do for us at The Well. It was, it was so funny. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know this um, until I actually read your book. Um, I didn't know this, but I was, I, so I was nervous when Chris came to see me because um, I had... I had a, you know how it is when you go through a tough time and you get a lot of lectures 
and everybody shows up. And so I was like, well, I'm kind of glad he's going to show up. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm not, what am I going to get? And he showed up. And, and you actually had people calling you going, you need to tell him like it is and whatever. And he just, he just showed up. And when he left, I went, that guy might be one of my new best friends. And, and he is till this day. It, if there's something super crazy going on in my life, Chris and a, another really good friend of mine named Chad are, are some of my two of my first calls. I, some, in fact, I'll text y'all when I'm super pissed off and say, "Hey, man, I'm really upset about this, and I'm not gonna say anything for 48 hours. Please hold me accountable." They'll they'll drive down and take my phone. They would. They would absolutely would. So conflict is inevitable. Drama is a choice. Yep. I think we we always carried in in our heart during that time, Perry, when people would tell Chris, "Oh, I'm so glad you're seeing Perry. You, you can speak truth." And Chris would just look at them and just say, have you ever met a good person who messed up that didn't know they messed up? Like, that is not what people need. We need compassion. And we need to know you still care. You know? And you said you guys are a good Samaritan church, and I just really believe that is because Perry's a good Samaritan. Um, and he, even during all that, I was about the same time I was going through extreme anxiety. How many, he texts every morning, How's Holly today? Did she get up? Is she doing good? I'm like, he's got way more problems than I got going on. <laughs> and he is like, he was caring about us. And I just think about um, the Good Samaritan getting on the knees of people. And I think in the church, it's so easy to say that's what we want to be. And we're okay when a stranger comes in and they're at rock bottom. I think we're really good at the church of loving them. But when the small group leader falls or, 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 or the Sunday school teacher starts to struggle with anxiety or numbing themselves too much or whatever that is, we have a really, really hard time saying, my neighbor fell and I'm still gonna get down on the ground and I'm gonna love them and I'm gonna show up for them. And so I just, I thank you guys for modeling that, that you're not afraid of that with your own people because most people have to leave and go find a new church that doesn't know them, so they're the new person, and they're the stranger at rock bottom, because we're good at loving the stranger at rock bottom. Um, we're not good at loving our small group leader at rock bottom or our Sunday school teacher, and you guys model that so well, and you are such a uh, expert, um, really, with, with, with Perry's experience and his anointing and the, and the anointing that God has on this, on this place. You guys are gonna be experts in other, like us, church planners, we're going to be looking to you. But the number one thing I beg is don't become the Levite. Don't become the priest. Stay. Stay the kind of people that are okay to get on the bottom and just stay there. Lift your hands from the bottom and praise God alongside people who just need a pickup. That was, that was, I've never heard it from that, that, Wow. Wow. Um, it's God's got us in a place for a reason. And these first few years have been amazing. But the world needs a lot more of what the, the church has to offer. That's right. And I can't wait to see what happens next. Can, we, can you let Chris and Holly know how much you appreciated them being here today? Let's, let's take just a second and close in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you, God, for 
just such real, raw, fresh, God, just straight from the Holy Spirit, anointed encouragement today. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe, maybe God used Chris and Holly to speak to you today about your relationship, about anxiety, about empathy. I don't know what, but if God spoke to you, like if he spoke to you, take just a second and speak back to him and just say, thank you, Jesus, for speaking to me. Or, yes, I'm going to take that step. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to schedule that appointment. I'm going to ask for help. Maybe you're here today and, and you realized, man, they've got something I don't have. And I'll tell you what it is, is Jesus. And Jesus will never leave you. He'll never abandon you. He'll never forsake you. Trust me. If you're here today and you've never prayed to receive Christ, you can pray to receive Christ right where you stand or right where you're watching online right now, just like we had people do in the last service. You can just, I want to just challenge you right now. If you know you need to receive Christ, just in your heart, you can just pray this right now. Just say, Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the grave to pay for my sins. And right now, Jesus, I receive you into my life. Come in and take over. You can have it all. In Jesus' name. With the head still bowed and eyes still closed, if you just prayed that prayer and asked Christ to come in your heart, I want you to do me a favor right now and just put your hand straight up in the air. Hold it, hold it up really high because I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you right now in the air. Thank you, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Anybody else? Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you so much. Father, I want to thank you for these hands that are in the air. I want to thank you that you change lives. Father, I want to thank you that you're real. I want to thank you that you meet us where we are and you love us there, but you love us too much to let us stay that way. Thank you for loving us no matter what's going on in our life. And thank you for always challenging us to take our next step. We love you, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Hey, before you leave, before you leave, I want to get Chris and Holly a chance to make it back to their book table. Before you leave, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, all right, we had Gary and Heather last week, and we had, well, are we just doing interviews from now on? What's going on in the church? Well, listen, Cletus, I got, just calm down for a second. We, we, I just needed a, what I call a brain break. So about four weeks ago, Cole came up here and just shredded it, just killed it, and then like three weeks ago, we baptized like four squillion people. That's what it felt like. And we just worked at Duncan people. And we had a cut. So I had some brain breaks and I got some rest. And I got some refreshment. I'm telling y'all next week, I'm going to preach. And I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to preach. And it's Father's Day. Men, relax. It's not going to be a, hey, da- hey, men, you suck message. It's not. We, we, I've had enough of that in my life. And I'm sure you have too. If you're a dad or if you have a dad. It's pretty much everybody, right? Unless you're Darth Vader. So if you if you are a dad, you have it, you're gonna love next week. I promise you. Bring somebody and then watch me win the golf cart. I love you guys. Y'all have a great week. God bless.